Chapters 15 and 16 of A Surgeon in Arms by Robert James Mannion. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15 Staff Officers. Now, the ordinary combatant officer who perhaps will read these lines may expect a diatribe against what the boys call the brass hats, but if so, he will be grievously disappointed outside the fact that staff officers like medical officers are a necessary evil the writer has the vivid recollection of one occasion on which he might have been court-martialed and perhaps shot for lese majesse or something akin to it but for the good humour of a well-known brigadier-general so there will be no scathing denunciation of staff officers here at noon i was sitting in a dugout in the lines when i received an order to immediately relieve captain blank of the blankteenth canadian battalion the order gave no information as to the whereabouts of this battalion and as it turned out the order had been wrongly transmitted and i had been directed to go to a battalion which was not on our front however i did not know this at the time and so i quickly got my things together hung my steel hat my cap haversack pack overcoat stick and other odds and ends on various parts of my person for an officer like a private seems to be made to hang things upon to get out of the lines to where i was to be met by an ambulance was a long hard trudge the ambulance was over one hour late and hours followed in which we searched everywhere to find a trace of the battalion night came on and we were still searching and as no food had accompanied us and a mixture of snow and rain was falling i was cold wet hungry and pugnacious when i entered a headquarters in order to try to get some information forgetting i was only a captain and stalking angrily in i demanded where the hell is the blankteenth battalion an officer rose came forward and smilingly asked me what the trouble was i have been hunting for hours i replied hotly not even looking for his rank searching for this bally battalion and i'm fed up to the neck with being pushed around like a basket of fruit for i had had many moves recently and a pretty healthy-looking basket of fruit you are too he returned with a good-natured laugh while he proceeded to put me on the right track and at last i noted his rank he was the general of my brigade so now you have the reason that i will say nothing against staff officers a story akin to this of an incident that happened in one of our trenches may be worth relating though it has nothing to do with staff officers my colonel who always even in his busiest times had a vivid sense of humour was sitting in his dugout when a tommy's voice yelled down hey bub how do we get to the vistula railhead from here the colonel's voice floated up giving directions but the tommy thinking he was talking to another private said As say bub don't be so damned lazy come up and show us the way and the consternation of the tommy as the colonel good-naturedly came up and showed him the way was good to look at on a drizzling rainy day when our battalion occupied the front lines on part of the vimy ridge i was standing in front of a so-called dugout which consisted of a room about twelve feet by twelve in which through lack of space two medical officers and their four assistants and two batmen ate slept and attended the wounded and sick we were sheltered from shells by a tin roof on which someone had piled two layers of sandbags 
the trenches were of sand with no revetments of any kind so that the rain which had been pouring for days washed the earth down and formed mud to the knees sometimes the mud was rich and creamy and except for the fact that whoever happened to be in front of you splattered it in your face it was easy to get through the other variety of mud was mucilaginous and tenacious and in getting through it one was very likely to lose his boots particularly if they were the long rubber kind and socks or to get stuck fast there were many cases where men had to be dug or pulled out and not one but many men and on one occasion an officer came into this dugout of mine during the night in their bare feet they had come for hundreds of yards in some cases in this manner on the day of which i speak i was standing in the creamy mud halfway up to my knees listening to the sharp crack made by bullets whizzing overhead and to the singing of shells by way of a change from the rather poisonous atmosphere in the dugout made offensive by the carbon monoxide from a charcoal fire when i heard someone splashing around through the mud looking up i saw three staff officers with the distinguishing red bands on their caps for they were not wearing helmets two of them wore raincoats so that their rank could not be seen the third wore no overcoat but an ordinary officer's uniform with ankle boots and puttees he strode doggedly behind the others apparently carrying nothing for mud or rain and to my surprise he had upon his breast though he looked no more than twenty years of age the ribbons of a number of decorations they stopped just before they came to where i was taking out a map of these trenches they and their guide or runner began studying it while i stood wondering how a boy of twenty could have won these coveted decorations finally deciding that he must be in the air service while i was still wondering he turned to me and though he was of my own rank he saluted and with a pleasant smile asked me if i could give them any information as to this front i joined them and for some time i answered their questions which rather strangely were in regard to a cemetery to which guimont trench the one in which we stood led on its way to the firing line five hundred yards away after we go there asked one of the older officers what is the easiest way out i explained that the easiest way was overland to neuville saint vast and then down the road but as we still heard the bullets passing a few feet above the parapet it might not be the safest he smiled whimsically and said he would personally rather take the risk than plough through this dreadful mud but perhaps they'd better stick to the trenches we chatted a few moments more and they put their feet once again to the task of getting them through the trenches the rather thin legs of the young officer pushing him determinedly along behind the others that evening the colonel informed me that he had learned at brigade that my questioner of the afternoon was the prince of wales who is honorary chairman of a commission in charge of british cemeteries in france and this removes for me at least the idea which many of us had that while the prince is in france he is kept well out of the danger zone for on this day he was well up toward the front lines and under filthy trench conditions at that a prince with as much red blood in his veins as he displayed in making that journey should not have enough blue blood to prevent his being some day a strong and righteous monarch End of chapter fifteen chapter sixteen the battle of vimy ridge 
on easter monday april nine nineteen seventeen occurred on the western front the great push which has been named by the press the battle of arras for some days previously our bombardment of the enemy lines had been almost continuous the so-called drum fire which sounded like rolls of thunder at times during the night the rumble would become a roar and one of my tent mates would half awaken and say well they're givin poor heine hell to-night and the tone would almost imply pity a grunt from the rest of us and then we'd roll over on our steel-hard cots to try unsuccessfully to find a soft spot and shortly the snores from one of the officers who was notorious for snoring would drown even the roll of the guns since the somme advances in nineteen sixteen no great pushback of the germans had occurred after all the many and great preparations had been completed an attack was now to be made on a ten-mile front north and south of the ruined city of arras by british and canadian troops to the canadians fell the lot of taking the famous vimy ridge which they with the absolutely necessary assistance of almost unlimited artillery successfully took consolidated and held on easter monday april nine the argument which sometimes occurs as to whether the artillery or infantry did the greater work in the taking of the ridge is beside the question one was as necessary as the other the artillery could have hammered the ridge until it became absolutely uninhabitable by the enemy but the artillery could not consolidate and hold the ridge which could be done only by foot soldiers without the proper aid being given by artillery no foot soldiers in the world be they ever so valorous could have taken this strongly fortified hill the taking of this ridge was considered a most difficult achievement for the reason that the french in nineteen fifteen nearly captured it but with losses estimated unofficially at from a hundred and fifty thousand to two hundred thousand men any one who has been in this neighborhood and has seen the areas dotted with equipment and bones of killed french soldiers and the trenches marked at almost every turn by little white wooden crosses erected to an unknown french soldier by their british allies could hardly doubt these figures then the allies after holding the conquered part of the ridge for some months were pushed off it by the germans who successfully held it till the battle of arras before this battle it was said that french and british were betting odds that the canadians would not succeed in this project of taking the ridge these facts are not given in any spirit of rivalry or criticism but only as points of interest and to give honour where honour is due the canadians certainly can never complain that they were denied their proper meed of praise by the british press and public for their work at vimy but neither can it be gainsaid that they deserve the praise accorded the advance was to have taken place much sooner but preparations were not complete easter sunday then easter monday became the day decided upon and five thirty a m of that day was to be the zero hour or hour of attack prompted at that hour the wonderfully heavy artillery barrage multiplied one hundredfold three minutes later the soldiers began going over the top and following the barrage so complete were the arrangements and so successful every move that the objectives were taken almost to the minute as planned and returns coming into brigade headquarters on the immediate front on which our battalion attacked were as optimistic as could be hoped for by the most critical 
a little over one hour after the first wave of canadians started across no man's land our o c lieutenant colonel j with an orderly room staff signallers and scouts started for the german lines to open a battalion headquarters at ulmer house dugout about six hundred yards behind the trenches which two hours before this had been the enemy front line i accompanied the party for i was to establish a regimental aid post somewhere near the h q when we stepped out of the tunnel which led from zivy cave to the centre of no man's land we had the misfortune to arrive in a sap a trench leading toward the hun lines which sap at the moment of our arrival was being very heavily shelled by german artillery as the sides of the sap were no more than two or three feet in height and as the shells were dropping so close that we were continually in showers of mud from them our party became broken up leaving the colonel and five of us together some two hundred yards on our way we stopped to rest the colonel and i were sitting behind a small parapet our bodies touching when a shell dropped beside him pieces of it wounding him in five or six places he pluckily insisted on going on toward our goal but soon fell from exhaustion the problem then was to get him back in safety for there had been no cessation in the shelling fortunately this was accomplished with no other casualties with great pluck on the colonel's part and some slight assistance on the part of his companions major p m c then took charge and with most of the original party set out for ulmer house our route this time was slightly altered by dodging the unlucky sap and going directly overland stepping around shell holes and keeping well away from a tank stuck in a mud hole to our right in order to avoid the numerous shells that the germans were pouring about it we proceeded on our trip through the german barrage which was somewhat scattered now in passing it may be said that on this immediate front because of the depth of the mud the only assistance given by the five or six tanks to the troops was that of drawing and localizing the enemy fire to a certain extent and so marking out areas of danger that it were well to avoid none of them got even as far as our first objective but remained stuck in the thick mud till they were dug out by hand on hard ground they are no doubt dangerous weapons of war but in this deep mud their only danger was to their occupants and to those about them our trip across this time was not particularly eventful veering this way and that to avoid the most heavily shelled bits of ground stepping over corpses of germans or what was more trying of our own canadian boys saying a word of comfort to some poor wounded chaps in shell holes we gradually and successfully made our way across the shell devastated and conquered territory to ulmer house we suffered only two slight casualties a wounded hand to the assistant adjutant lieutenant c and a bruised chest to the signalling officer captain g a couple of hours later the shelling had ceased so completely that it was comparatively safe for any one to wander about the field which had so recently been the scene of one of the greatest battles in history here and there in shell holes marked by a bit of rag tied to a stick we found many of our own boys and the boys of other canadian battalions who needed attention stretcher parties were made up generally of german prisoners and the wounded were cleared with all possible speed 
one poor young chap we discovered late in the afternoon in an advanced shell-hole with his leg badly wounded and broken he having lain there from six fifteen in the morning yet he smiled good-humouredly and thanked us gratefully for what we did asking only for a cigarette after we fixed him up field ambulance stretcher bearers and german prisoners under captain k m c of number blank canadian field ambulance worked tremendously to clear the field other working parties were encountered at different points all with the same object in our rounds we visited all that remained of thelus and saw some of the many captured guns one of the most interesting visits we made was to a cave at les tilliers near thelus which was being used as headquarters for another battalion as well as headquarters for c company of our own here lieutenant j greeted us warmly but failed to tell us the details of his own exploit which has acquired a fame it well deserves and for which he received the military cross here is the story lieutenant j was second in command of c company the c o being old pop who was killed early in the fight the command of the company devolving upon his subordinate he is a boy of twenty-two a bank clerk in civil life as mild gentle and good-natured a lad as one could find in a day's march he had led his men on till they obtained their objective and then he and a corporal who were scouting about came to this cave with its long winding staircase they threw down a couple of mills bombs drew their revolvers and went down to be confronted in flickering candlelight by one hundred and five german officers and men all armed bluffing that they had a large force upstairs they covered and disarmed the hundred and five germans took them prisoners and hunting up an escort for them sent them to the rear those are the cold bare undecorated facts and then to complete as pretty a bit of work as was done at beamy ridge lieutenant j took a german carrier pigeon that he found in the cave tied to its leg a message giving the necessary essentials and finishing with the words everything bright and cheery he freed it it found its way to our battalion headquarters at omer house where we had the pleasure of reading the note to stand at the mouth of this cave and look about on all sides as far as the eye could see and to know that all that shell-racked ground was won in a few hours by the citizen army of canada made one feel a legitimate pride in being a native of that land and the stories which kept dribbling in for days as we held the line of the gallantry of this man or the nobly inspiring death of that one were of deep interest to us all of our own battalion we lost on the ninth two hundred and seventeen men out of a total of six hundred and fifty seven and ten officers not counting two who were slightly wounded out of twenty-two of us three of our officers were killed outright old pop lieutenant beechcraft an american lawyer from michigan who often said to me with a confident smile the germans have not yet made a shell to get me and he was right poor tom for i saw him lying dead that day on the field with a german rifle bullet wound in his head the third of our officers killed was major hutchins a man well past fifty who had recently joined us and who had taken a lieutenant's position of platoon commander in order to serve at the front this was his first fight and he was killed by a shell while leading his platoon across no man's land 
all honor to his gray hairs and may they ever be an inspiration to younger men one of the best stories of this battle concerned a canadian brigade on our left under the command of brigadier general h this brigade on april nine took all its objectives except one very difficult hill number one forty nicknamed because of its shape the pimple the general of the division sent word to brigadier general h that he was going to send in some british troops to aid him in capturing this hill brigadier general h is a bonny fighter an anglo-indian who has been living some years in british columbia and he has a temper much resembling an irish terrier's he curtly sent back word that his canadians needed no assistance knowing him well the general of division good-naturedly replied that if general h succeeded in taking this difficult hill they would give him the title lord pimple the next day the division received the following message have taken am consolidating and will hold hill one forty signed lord pimple the main facts of this story can be verified in the official records of this division i have a vivid recollection of general h when he was lieutenant colonel in command of the nth canadian battalion i had been sent there to relieve the regular medical officer who was away on leave in england lieutenant colonel h was also away on leave during my first few days service with his battalion on a certain day when we were being relieved from the front line opposite bully grenet i had not yet seen general h on going out with my orderlies we were to pass along damoisette trench which was one of the front support trenches and was an out trench that day we found it blocked by some other officers of our battalion and a couple of platoons for this trench was being heavily shelled just ahead of the block we joined the others and waited some time while an officer said by god i take enough chances without waiting here for the huns to drop those shells on our heads i am going out caronde which was an in trench that day for this relief but the relief was to have been completed at 10 a.m., and it was then 10.15, so we would hardly cause any obstruction. This fact, combined with the fact that probably everyone, as is often the case, was waiting for someone else to propose going back, made us all turn about and retrace our steps. We were going along Carande Trench when I heard an angry voice behind me demanding, "'Doctor, what are you doing in this trench?' don't you know that this is an in-trench i turned and saw a thin-lipped square-jawed lieutenant-colonel who i guessed at once was our returned o c i explained that damoisette was being shelled heavily that relief was complete and that only three of the men ahead were mine his face was quite dark and frowning and i could see that he was debating as to whether he should give me a strafing or pass it over finally he said sharply all right carry on that night at bully i did not look forward with any great pleasure to my dinner for i had heard of his reputation as to temper and i expected he would say a few things to me though as kelly well put it it's none of an officer's business to put his nose against an advancing german shell but i plucked up my courage and entered the h q mess room to be greeted in a kindly and friendly manner by lieutenant colonel h how are you doctor i have not had the pleasure of meeting you before shaking my hand pardon me sir but you met me in a trench to-day where i had no right to be no you were quite right to be there i made inquiries and found you were right 
and anyway i had no damned right to be there myself in the time that i remained with this battalion i found him always to be a courteous gentleman but with an irascible temper one would not be surprised if since his becoming a brigadier-general his temper is less touchy and the incident of the pimple shows that he is an efficient officer well worthy of the land of his forefathers and a credit to the country of his adoption and of his men End of chapter sixteen